morning. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to actually finish the Gospel of Mark uh, this morning. Now, even as you look at your Bible and you open it, you may see some extra verses. We'll address those briefly in a minute. And we're actually going to have one more sermon in our sermon series next week, and uh, Pastor Peter is going to wrap it up um, then. Um, Last week we saw uh, Jesus... Uh, in the grave, this in-between time where his body is in the grave, and yet as we heard, he's uh, with his heavenly Father, that, uh, the, the, that those on the cross on either side of him, that he told them what? That today you'll see me in paradise. Um, this morning, we get to see the wonders of the resurrection. So let's look now, uh, starting at verse 1, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away that stone um, that had been rolled back, it was, for it was very large. And, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go. uh, Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seen them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you give us your word to feed us, to nourish our souls, and ask that you would do that uh, this morning through your word. Um, Would you, today, help us to wonder and glory in the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I'm sure you've all, you've all had something unexpected happen in your life from time to time, things that seemingly uh, come out of nowhere. As I was thinking about that, I, I thought to um, Christmas of 2002, I believe it was. Um, I was in Savannah, Georgia, where, where I'm from. Adrian, my wife, was up near Atlanta, where she's from, about four hours away. Um, Adrian, that night, she was done with her Christmas day, and Got ready to kind of, you know, relax and get comfortable, put on her PJs, put on, take off her contacts, put on her glasses, sit down to watch TV, eating cereal on Christmas night, and her doorbell rings. Her parents tell her, knowing what was going on, uh, to go answer the door. And there at the doorstep, she finds me, and it was quite unexpected for her that night to find me uh, there, to find me there, uh, asking her if if she would uh, marry me. It was that that unexpected moment for her. Um, She was kind of expecting, she knew that it was probably coming, right? We talked about it. But she didn't know, she had no clue that it was coming that Christmas night. It was the unexpected. Uh, This morning, we have a, a group of women going to the tomb of Jesus. And for them, the totally unexpected happens. They weren't even like Adrian, where she kind of knew something was coming, she just didn't know that it was that night. They, 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 they were seemingly not, not expecting what took place at all. 
they weren't expecting at all. Let's look. Verses 1 and 2. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. The women here, they, they come. No, no doubt they're grieving. Okay? They're, they're very sad. Their, their dear friend and teacher was dead. And they knew, as they were going there, they knew that he was dead. They'd been there. They'd seen him wrapped in that linen cloth. They'd seen him put in the tomb. They'd seen the stone rolled over the entrance to the tomb. They knew as they went to the tomb that morning that Jesus was dead. That's what they thought they knew anyway. And they were going to do what they had probably done before for other loved ones and for other friends. You see, Jesus, on that, on that afternoon of his death, the Sabbath was so close, so his burial was rushed. They didn't go through all the normal things that they would do to prepare the body for burial, so they, they come on this Sunday morning to appropriately bury him, if you will, to, to bury him with dignity. And that's what they, they come to do, because they believe, they know that he's dead. Verse 3, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? You see, on the way, they suddenly remember that they forgot something really important. They're going to the tomb to do this, but they can't move this huge stone. They have no means, and they suddenly remember, and they're thinking, who in the world? How are we going to be able to get in? And it's in this small detail, along with the other details here, that it's The expectations of the women are made quite clear, right? The expectations that they were going to find a dead Jesus in the grave. There was no expectation of anything different. No doubt, even as they were going to the tomb, their lives had been changed by Jesus because they had interacted with him, because they knew him. They would never be the same just because of that. But any great hopes that they had in Jesus, any great hopes that maybe he was the Messiah, maybe he was the promised one, had died with him. And maybe in some ways, if if we think through these women's lives from just worldly eyes, in some ways their their lives might have been a little easier if they'd just been able to go into the tomb and do what they came to do. But because when they get to the tomb, Jesus is not there, because of the resurrection, what happens to these women? Their whole lives are turned upside down. Their lives are forever changed as the unexpected happens. Verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. And even now, even at this moment, their, their, their lives, they don't know it really yet, but their lives are changed forever. They approach the tomb they, 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 um, they, they stoop over to, to get in. You know, likely these, the, the tombs weren't, didn't have these huge openings that you could walk through. You'd have to stoop through to get in. And so they, they stoop through to, to, to go into this tomb. Verse 5, in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Alarmed, a good word here, right? Can you imagine? You, you go into a tomb. It's already kind of difficult enough to just do that, right? 
to be, have to be confronted with death in that way. And they stoop through and they come in and there they see this young man sitting there. Alarmed. They were definitely alarmed. I mean, I think we could all just imagine how alarmed they might have been. If you suddenly go in there expecting one thing and this is in a grave and suddenly there's a man just, just sitting there. This man who is, in fact, an angel. And what does he say to them? Verse 6, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He's risen. He's, he's not here. See the place where they laid him, as we see angels constantly doing. What do they tend to have to do whenever they show up? They always have to say, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be alarmed. You know, it's okay. I bring Pete. You know, they, they always, and so we see him bringing those calming words. And then he says, he is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Look, right, right here, you, you, right here on the shelf, you can see the, the linen shroud that you saw him wrapped up in. He's not here. He's risen. How could this be? He was dead. The women, they'd seen it. They'd seen him laid in the tomb. They'd seen him die. They knew that he was dead. And yet, he is risen. And that is, at the end of the day, the only explanation for what took place. It was, of course, so unexpected for them. This is not what they were expecting when they came to the tomb. But it's so true. This is what was, what was taking place. And it was unexpected for them, but should it have been unexpected? You know, as we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, I think we've seen that maybe the women and certainly the disciples should have expected it. Chapter 8, verse 31 Jesus said, and he began to, to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise up. What did he say? Rise up. And if you remember this, Peter gets all upset after this, right? Because no, Jesus, this, we don't want this to ever happen to you. Do you think Peter understood? He heard his words. A few verses later in chapter 9, verse 9, that they're, they're the three, they're coming down with Jesus from the Mount of Transfiguration. And he tells them, don't tell anybody about what, what, just, what you just saw happen. Don't, don't tell anybody until you see the Son of Man rise from the dead. And so they kept it to themselves. And what does it say? Questioning what this rising of the dead might mean. They were thinking about it. What does this mean, rising from the dead? Chapter 9, verse 31, what did Jesus say? And when he is killed, the Son of Man is killed, after three days he will rise. And then chapter 10, verse 34, again, what did he say? And after three days he will rise. And if there was any confusion, on the night before, on the night before Jesus would, would go to his death, you, you remember he he predicts, he, he tells them that they are going to scatter, right? But what does he also tell them? Chapter 14, verse 28, but after I am raised up, but after I am raised up, he told them, he, he, he made it abundantly clear, even just the night before he died, that what is going to happen, that he was going to, to rise from the dead. And yet it seemed like nobody was expecting it. You see the disciples, at the very least. You know, they should have gotten out there, you know, the camping chairs and stuff, and they should have been sitting outside the tomb just waiting, right? No, they didn't have camping chairs, I guess. But, but you know, they, they, they were there, they were, they were waiting. They, they should have been expecting this. 
Jesus had told them over and over and over again. And yet, it's still the unexpected for them. And the angel tells him, no, he's risen. Just like he said. He already said this, verse 7. But go, he tells the women, go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Do you see the good news there? What does he say? He says, go tell the disciples. Go, go tell the disciples, those ones who scattered, who ran for the hilt whenever I was arrested, the ones who said that they would never deny me, go tell those disciples. Go tell them. This is an incredible message of grace. I hope you hear it. You know, just because just as he said, and we mentioned this a moment, just as he said that they were going to all scatter, he told them that he was going to meet them in Galilee, right? We looked at the verse just a second ago, chapter 14, verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And what do we see now happening? What is the angel saying? Go, he's going to meet you in Galilee just like he told you. Everything is going according to plan. And now those words have come true. And the incredible nature of these words here. Go, tell the disciples. What is the message for the disciples? Even though you've scattered, you're still my disciples. Even though you've run away, even though you're not here waiting on me to rise from the dead, you're still my disciples. You're still mine. And I hope you understand that this applies in some ways to us too. Okay? We find ourselves, and um, Alan just prayed about this a moment ago, we, we, we find ourselves going our own way, going astray. We find ourselves scattering, right? We, we come here on Sunday morning, and maybe we, we, we get reconvicted, if you will, and we, 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 we move through our week. And we find ourselves scattering in different ways, denying him in different ways, find ourselves pursuing the things of this world in different ways instead of, of pursuing him. And just as he calls the disciples to come, he calls you and I to come. Please don't miss that. Now, the problem with us is sometimes we might well say to that, we say, but look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. There's no way I can go back to him. I mean, the disciples must have, in a sense, sensed that. We, we denied you. How, how could we look at what we've done? We couldn't do that? And I hope you understand ultimately what Jesus is saying through his actions and all that he's done. He's saying, no, don't look at what you've done. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've done for you. You, you, you see, the disciples are able to return to him. The disciples are able to come to him because of what he has just accomplished. They are able to come back to him because of the death that he has suffered on the cross. They are able to come back to him because when he said it is finished, it really was. They are able to come back to him because he is now resurrected from the dead. Defeating death 
itself. And it's because of that that his disciples, whenever he says, come to me, they're able to return even though they've denied him. It's for that same reason that you and I are able to come to him too. Because of the same. Because he's done that for us. And if the magnitude of the the grace of the gospel right here that we just looked at isn't enough, there's also those two words in there. I hope you saw, but go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. Why does he say and Peter? It's not because... Peter was somehow has some preeminence among the disciples, and you know, we, we needs to address him particularly. It's not that, it's but because of recent events. And as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen the recent events of, of Peter, right? He, he, said, he said very bluntly, Jesus, I will never deny you. They, they might. Me, never. And he does it three times. And we remember that that, that moment at the After that third denial, and the rooster crows, and Jesus looks at him across the courtyard. Their eyes connect, and Peter is left doing nothing but weeping, realizing what he has done, that he has denied his friend, he's denied his Savior. You see, all the disciples, they must have been reeling from what's been taking place, right? Reeling not just from what took place, but also their, their denial of, of Jesus and their running away and their fleeing. But I wonder, just wonder if, if Peter wasn't reeling in an even greater way. That he wasn't able to stand strong. That he, the one who was supposed to be the rock, just crumbled. And maybe, just maybe, Peter believed that his sin, his denial was too great. There's no way I could ever go back to Jesus. He could ever return. And so, right here, in these first words after the resurrection, the angel says, make sure you tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter, too. He's going to be restored, too. Just like all of my disciples, he, too, is going to be restored. And, and it shouldn't surprise us then as we look at the other gospel accounts. What do we see Peter doing whenever he's told? He runs. He runs to the tomb. Oh, the incredible grace of God. What is the this these first words after the resurrection? But words of restoration for those who denied him, who fled from him. Are you maybe? Wondering today, are there things maybe that you say, I don't know if God could ever forgive me because of this or that, because of ways I denied him? I hope you know that the gospel is is going out to all of us this morning saying, come. Going out to all of us saying, come. Come back to me. Go. Tell the disciples. And you, and you, and you, and you, and me. We need to hear it, that call back. Come to me, Jesus says. Your sin, your, your sin, even your scattering, even your denying, 
is not too great that the blood of Jesus can't cover over it. Do you understand that? Do you know that? This is so incredible. It's so unexpected. But it's true. Now, we come to the end of Mark. An ending that seems without resolution. An ending that, that seems kind of odd. Look at it, verse 8. And they went out, and they fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Leaves us asking questions, doesn't it? Was there more written? Is this really the end of Mark? And you see, if you have a Bible there in front of you, you may see some verses, like in brackets, or you may see a footnote with some additional verses. Now, there is close to unanimous agreement, which I agree with, that those verses in brackets or in footnotes were never part of Mark's gospel. But we still have to ask the question, did Mark really end it here in verse 8? Is there some sort of ending, maybe, that's, that's lost to history? Now, I've read far too much about this in the past week. And even after reading lots about it, I'm still not 100% convinced as to which it is. Maybe was there some other ending to Mark, or is this the ending that Mark originally wrote? But you know what I've become more and more convinced of? Is that this is the ending that you and I need and that God intended for us to have. It's not by accident that the gospel of Mark ends open-ended, if you will. It's, I don't think it's by accident at all. We're left asking, what happens next, right? We only see fear and awe. The, the, the women are running away and saying nothing to anyone. So we're left at, what's happening next? Are the women, are they going to obey? Are they going to go tell the disciples? Are they just going to remain silent forever? Are they just going to remain in fear? Now, I think the very fact that we have this in front of us this morning, in fact, the very fact that we are here in this room this morning, shows us that the women did speak up. Now, where they just didn't tell anyone on, their, their, that, on that run <laughs> to go tell the disciples, maybe? We do know from the other gospel accounts that they did run back to the disciples, and tell them immediately. But this open-ended nature of Mark, this leaving us open with questions of what happens next, I think it's helpful for us because it leaves us asking, well, what is our response to the Gospel of Mark? How are we going to respond to all that we've read? How are you going to respond to who Jesus really is? Mark starts off his gospel saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Do we believe that after reading through the entirety of the, the book of Mark? What do we make of the cross? What do we make of the empty tomb that we see this morning? Does all of this make any difference in your life? Does this change anything? Does it matter at all to you? I want to say this morning, our answers to those questions, they mean everything. What we make of the empty tomb 
means everything to us. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul says? 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That's how much is at stake here with what you and I make of this empty tomb that we see at the end of the mark. That's why our response to it is is so, so important. So I was in the midst of preparing this. I was digging through some old notes that I have on the resurrection. And and I found some old notes from a talk that um, John Stott gave many, many years ago. Some of you may know who he is. He, He came to the church I used to be a member of many, many 20 plus years ago. And I had just one of the, in the midst of a bunch of other notes, I had this quote written from something that he said. And he said this. He said, if he did not rise, if he did not rise, there is not one glimmer of hope in the world. If he did not rise, there is not one glimmer of hope in the world. You see, his resurrection is, is the, the proof, if you will, of what he has accomplished. It tells us that, that, that he was successful in what he came to do. That when he said it is finished, it really was. That, that on the cross, that, that he really did, he, he really did meet all of the law's demands, that he really did accomplish that, it assures us that sin and death have truly been defeated. Folks, if he did not rise, there is not one glimmer of hope in the world. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. this is true. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, you need to understand it changes everything. It changes everything for us. It turns our lives in a sense upside down, doesn't it? It means we can't just live according to the the principles of the world. It changes the way we deal with really all of life. One writer tells of whenever he was visiting uh, China. Um, and in the midst of that, he, he was in Hong Kong, and he, he met this Chinese man. He was led by a friend to, to meet a, a, an old Chinese um, guy that he wanted him to meet. And he goes in, and this guy, you know, he's, he's 60s plus, he, and he's bent over in the back. You could tell he'd had a really hard life. And he goes in, they sit down. And then a few minutes later, a Chinese woman, about a, it's the same age, came in to serve them tea. And he writes this, as she lingered, I couldn't help but notice how they touched and lovingly looked at each other. My staring apparently didn't go unnoticed, for soon they were both giggling. What is it, I asked my friend. Oh, nothing, he said with a smile. They just wanted to let you know that they're newlyweds. And it's then that he learned the rest of their story. That back in 1949, the man had been 
um, in seminary in Nanking. And on the day of his wedding rehearsal, he, along with all the other seminary students, were taken into prison to a hard labor camp. And he spent the last 30-plus years in prison. And each year, for just a few minutes, they would allow his bride-to-be that he didn't get the chance to marry to come visit him. They would have just a few minutes together, and then they'd take her away, and then he would be ushered in to the warden's office. And every year this happened, and the warden would say to him, you may go with your bride if you'll renounce Christianity. Year after year, this man replied with just one word, no. The writer continues, he says, I was stunned. How had he been able to stand the strain for so long? Being denied his family, his marriage, and even his health. And when I asked, he, he seemed to be astonished at my question. And he replied, with all that Jesus has done for me, how could I deny him? You see, how is that Chinese man able to, to do that? He did it because he truly believed in the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and that truth had, had turned his life upside down. Now, I don't share that to like make you and I and some of us you know, may raise up in us some, some guilt in us like that, that maybe we would think we would struggle to respond in exactly the same ways. Maybe we should struggle a little bit. Maybe that's not a bad thing that that's occurring in some of us. But, but I share it more. So that you and I can, can see the, the type of real transformation that should be taking place in us as a result of the truth of the death and the resurrection of Christ and truly believing that it truly is true. And if we struggle with it some and, and struggle to say, well, that's, that's pretty extreme, then maybe we need to mine a little more deeply. We need to understand a little more deeply what Jesus has really accomplished for us. To understand what he truly took on on the cross, taking our sins upon him. To truly understand the victory that he has had on our behalf in the resurrection. Do, do you this morning, do you know the beauty and the wonder and the, the, the transformational nature of the resurrection? Do you truly understand that you're, you're, the wages of your sin have really been paid for? He's really done it all. That death has truly been triumphed over. And that as a result, we do not grieve like the rest of the world grieves. We don't live like the rest of the world lives. You live. And we're called to live. As ones who know that death is not the last word. Because we know. That if we're in Christ, one day too, 
we will be resurrected with Him and with Him for all of eternity. You understand how wonderful that is this morning? Do you today understand the wonder and the beauty of the empty tomb, of our resurrected Lord? Jesus this morning calls out to us all. And he says, come. He says, come. You're my disciples. Come. I've done it all for you. The angel, the angel said to the women, he is risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. Do you truly believe it? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you this morning for the wonder and the beauty of the resurrection. That the tomb is empty. That the one who who died for us, was raised to new life, was triumphed over death itself. Would you be at work in our hearts? Would you be helping us to apply the truth of the wonder of the resurrection. The wonder that our Savior has defeated sin and death. Oh, would you help us to truly believe it down to the depths of our soul so that as we step into each day, we'd find ourselves our lives turning more and more upside down, if you will, as we find ourselves more and more transformed by this incredibly good news. Oh, would you help us to believe, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.